Welcome to the New Work Revolution podcast on NewWorkRevolution.com. Take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution. Here's your host, Brandon Allen. All right, so I want to welcome everyone to the New Work Revolution podcast here on NewWorkRevolution.com. This is Brandon Allen. And most of the time, you are used to hearing me and only me on the podcast, but I'm really excited today because I have a guest. So I've got Michael Tomlin. He is the author of Hard Truths, and he will be our guest today. We're going to talk about hard truths and leadership, and this is something that Michael has learned from uh, years of experience in the military, doing corporate training, and now he's moving into training around the hard truths concept. Being that New Work Revolution is a leadership podcast and it's all about leadership, I went through the book, I loved it, it speaks to what we talk about on the show, so I thought it would be really awesome to get uh, some smarter perspective on leadership and training uh, from Michael. So Michael, welcome. Thank you, it's great to be here, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. So was there anything I left out, anything I missed in terms of your introduction that you think would be pertinent? Um, I don't think so. I think the most important part was where you said you loved the book. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Good deal. So hard truth. So Michael, let's just let's uh, we'll zoom out before we zoom in. Why hard truths? What brought this book about? What did you think was missing in the marketplace where you felt like, hey, this is a book that needs to be written? Uh, thank you. And and it is uh, the marketplace. It's a small book, 140 pages total uh that's into the book and out of the book um but and so it's a trade book hopefully for uh for leaders i didn't start out to write hard truths um as a business professor i had for years saved and collected articles of wisdom that i said that just nails it and so i had files and folders and uh sat down and started to make a list of topics and as i looked at the topics i had just about a topic for every letter of the alphabet and I thought, I've got it. I'm going to write a book and call it 26 Perfect Lessons for Leadership, or I'm going to call it Leadership A to Z. And it was kind of catchy, so I got started writing. And then by the time I got a publisher, uh, the publisher said, ah, that's a little bit too soft, too hokey. And as we're reading some of the book, we're seeing this as a more pointed and harder book. And I said, it's, and they said, we don't like uh, 26 perfect lessons. And I said, but these lessons are the truth. The truth meaning, of course, how I view them. And um, so then we morphed from that into, well, the hard truth is, and uh, just how it fell out, and I ended up without 26 perfect lessons. Um, there's 18 and a, and a conclusion in this one. So that's where hard truths came from. It's not soft truths, uh, meaning the difference I would make is simply that there are things that are uh, very much like rules of science. There's hard science and there's soft science. I'm a social scientist by nature, by trade, but on the other hand, there are hard truths within the social sciences. Nice. Yeah, I love that. So let's, let's talk about balance. So chapter two is balance. You said we have 168 hours in a work week. The rest is just economics and logistics. Talk to my listeners about that concept, that principle of balance. Right. Okay. First off, the 168 hours in a week is indeed a hard truth. That's science yep. based on the clock that we use. And uh, we, we hear so much balance, burnout, all of these types of things. And then we're managers. 
the key is what do we do when we manage? We move resources. Uh, and so we think about the 168-hour week. Everything is logistics. What is it that we, that we do and how do we do that? And I live uh, not too far. Uh, I'm in the Boise Valley, Eagle, Idaho, and I'm not too far from the Oregon Trail. And I think about those folks coming across the Oregon Trail and trying to build a life, trying to open the Northwest. And they were never thinking about balance or burnout. They were thinking about building a nation, building a life. And, and we have it not nearly as hard, most of us, as the Oregon Trailers <laughs> did coming across. But I think, my goodness, we talk so much about uh, wanting everything. And it's uh, 168 hours is a matter of trade and I will say the same thing when I was in the military. When you're on a mission, you're never thinking about work-life balance. You're never thinking about burnout. You're thinking about you have work to do. You do your work. And when the work's done, then you're done with your work. And that's pretty much the way I view life. And I think that's a, a great way that we can view the office place, uh, view how we manage our teams, view how we manage our time. And um, hopefully tell some stories about that in the, um, in, in the book. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. So chapter seven, you talk about intentionality. And I love this chapter because I wrote a book called Total Experience Design about how we intentionally, we create a business by design or we create a business by default. At some level, a, a, an experience will be created, whether we're a part of that experience or we're not. So you talked about, I love this quote that you shared from uh, a Mark Twain book. You said, definite speech means clarity of mind. Where do you see intentionality being so critical in, in the leadership journey? It, it is in critical. It, it is critical. And that's exactly what you said. And from, uh, from your book and, and the position that you've taken that either um, our business is based upon intelligent design, or like you say, it's the default. It is wherever it's just haphazard, it is random. Now, the listeners should understand random is cool. Random is fun. You go for a hike, you don't have to follow the trail that you started out on. You go for a bike ride, go for a bike ride. You go on vacation, take some of those turns down roads you didn't know you were going to do. That's great. That's great in business, too. On the other hand, the many things that we build, we craft, and that is one of the things that I believe and part of my uh, decades of experience in management and organizational world is that too often managers will go have conversations with employees and they kind of pull that conversation out of their socks. They don't have a playbook. They don't have a game plan. Uh, that was based upon randomness of conversation rather than uh, something very specific. And so leading intentional lives, learning to do things, I, I would say habits are the enemies of intentionality. And whatever the habit is, if the habit is I get in the car and I put on my seatbelt, that's a good habit to have. On the other hand, I would argue it is a better mental position to every time you get in the car intentionally put on your seatbelt not put it on by habit. Make a choice every time you get in the car that I'm going to wear my seatbelt for cause. There's a reason why I'm doing that. And when we take that then to the office place, then that's what we do. We turn what used to be habits into intentional action. It's intentional action because we believe that it will have 
an outcome. We believe that it will cause something to happen that we wish very much to happen. Awesome. I love that. Now, where do you, you know, Michael, when it comes to intentionality, why do you think so many leaders have a hard time being intentional? What do they do to be more intentional? A difficulty that um, managers have with intentionality is many times they actually don't have a specific game plan. You have to have things that you believe in fervently, that you believe in, that you believe are going to create a certain outcome. And then you run that same game plan over and over and over. Part of it we would call consistency is that I intend for my employees, I may treat them differently, but I will treat them differently intentionally and I will consistently do that. And that way, you always have an idea followed by a plan, followed by specific action, um, attempting to have a certain outcome. You don't walk down the hall just to have a conversation with an employee. You have a strategy and a plan for that. You do it intentionally. Every customer you talk to, you want a specific outcome from that customer, from a vendor, from a coworker. And you learn to build your playbook, which doesn't have to have 500 plays in it. It can have 20 things that you believe in specifically. And that is how you begin to develop the practice of intentionality. I love that. So let's skip to chapter 12. And I'm going to go back. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. But I want to skip to chapter 12 on strategy. So one of the things that I talk about on the podcast and that I work with clients in is creating a philosophy and having a belief system for everything that we do. And now you talk about that a lot in that chapter, which I think really piggybacks off the intentionality piece. So talk to me about where you think good strategy really happens for leaders and how they can really get this right. Good strategy starts with a belief system or a philosophy. I tell in the book about strategic planning, and I have led in my early career something I know a little bit about. I've led so many organizations through strategic planning initiatives to the point that I just stopped doing it. I don't, I don't like doing it. Um, I, I find many are not committed to it, and they want a strategic plan that answers all of their questions, but they have no undergirding belief or philosophy about their business or about uh, their place in business. And that is so much more important. If I can use a religious example, a strategy on how to start and build a church and build up a, um, a congregation is great, but at some point in time, you probably ought to have religious beliefs undergirding that, <laughs> which, right. would be, uh, which would be the philosophy. And that's the key in business. You ask someone what their strategy is, a strategy can be a list of things. But let's talk about, so what's your belief system? What do you believe you are doing? What problem are you solving? What, uh, what are you creating? How do you believe you're going to work with your people? That ties into, uh, that, that ties into culture. And so it's the, um, it's the belief system, your philosophy that uh, drives you every day that undergirds the development of any strategy. Too many people start at the strategy point and don't start at the have they developed a philosophy, what is their belief system point that will then uh, work into strategy. Oh, man, I love that. So important. So let's talk about focus. So chapter nine is about focus. You said a primary task of leadership is to direct attention. So talk to me about that. Where where do you see where, where can leaders be better in focusing? Well, um, 
ran into a, a, a soft research piece, and it was quoting uh, Dr. Oz, uh, we see on TV and, and in print uh, quite a bit. And he said, humans crave distraction. And that's probably true. That the reason why people are always walking around in today's cell phone world with their cell phones, it is easy to get people distracted. Um, very seldom are our uh, business enterprises built based upon distraction. They're based upon focus. People will tell us, hey, I can multitask. Uh, I quote research in the book that shows, you know, you can multi-do stuff, but typically you're not, uh, you're not multi-focusing, you're not multi-succeeding. You're just badly doing and mismanaging lots of projects at the same time. For the manager, trying to make clear exactly what you want done. When you have an intentional conversation with an employee, um, are you asking them about seven different projects or are you asking them about one project? Are you helping them stay focused? Are you letting them know what the cue, the order of the thing is that you want done? Um, and that is how you actually get great things um, accomplished. Understanding that your people will be easily distracted, um, maintaining your focus, letting them know that you are mission-focused, accomplishment-focused, customer service-focused, whatever that focus is, focused on their welfare and well-being, but that you want, um, you want them to be focused, stay focused, and accomplish specific things. Many times, it's that confusion about what you want employees to do that leads to uh, conflict in, in the organization. Oh, I love that. All right. So <clears throat> Chapter 11 is about power, and, and admittedly, this is not a topic that I have talked about a lot, really thought about a lot personally or professionally, but you talked about power not occasionally spent is not power at all. And I don't know that a lot of leaders think about utilizing power. Why is that so important in the leadership journey? Uh, power is, uh, certainly I think power is underserved. But power, part of the challenge with that is that it seems like power is something we shouldn't be talking about. Uh, I don't lead with power. I lead as a democratic leader. I am so many types of things other than power that, um, that we give it short shrift. Um, on the other hand, power is really what does accomplish things. And I talk about the, um, uh, give the example in the book with John F. Kennedy with uh, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis and backing down the Soviets. It was not diplomacy that did it. Diplomacy was tried. Diplomacy carried on and on and on. It ultimately was the power of the United States Navy that caused that to happen. So at some point uh, in every business, there is a role for uh, there is a role for power. Power only happens if we um, if we utilize it. We don't want to go through the workplace and through the workday exerting our power, reminding people, "I'm the boss. I can have your job." That's just being a jerk. So don't ever confuse that with the uh, with the exertion of power. On the other hand. Um, Sometimes it is the powerful person who gets things from the corporate office, who gets the funding, who gets the go-ahead on the new uh, project. You work diplomatically, but on the other hand, you develop and build a base of power that you can bring into play for specific things that you wish to accomplish. Yeah, I love that. 
I think that is underserved, and I think a lot of people are really scared to utilize power, but there, there is a time and a place to do that effectively. So I love that. So let's talk about conflict. You said the studies show that only 15% of the workforce are satisfied with how their employer handles conflict. Why is conflict so challenging for us? Well, we try, one, we try to avoid it. Um, we, how many of us go to work uh, wanting conflict? Unless we're a, a, a mixed martial artist and going into the octagon, <laughs> we're not looking for conflict. Uh, we want a good, uh, not easy, a good, hard-working day where everybody works together. That's great until you hire your first employee. Right. My undergraduates in business, I would talk to them, said, you know, life is awfully easy in the dorm till you get your roommate. And then you move into an apartment and you've got four roommates. And how would you like eight or how would you like 12? Said, welcome to running your own business. Welcome to working in a business. And that's always a difficult and challenging thing. There will be conflict. One of the reasons that we have conflicts that fester is because we don't manage our agreement. I can't tell you, Brandon, how many conflict resolution workshops I've been to through my career, provided by employers, and it's like I'm going to quit if I ever have to go to another one. Um, the key with conflict resolution is really to manage our agreements. Every day, the great things that happen, certainly in the United States and other places in the world, aren't because we have resolved conflict. It's because we have managed well the agreements that we have. We agree that we're not going to smoke in the restaurant. We agree that we're not going to carry the handgun into the school. Whatever those types of things are, those are the agreements that we've reached. Managing those in the workplace are key to to um, uh, dealing with conflicts well. I love that. I love that. Managing agreements. We, we've talked about that, and that's so powerful. So we've, as you guys can see, I mean, we've gone over, I mean, I, I just kind of got into a little bit about what the book is about, just kind of hitting a couple of specific areas that really stood out to me, just so we could talk about it on this podcast. But, I mean, we didn't really even talk about uh, I mean, there's half the chapters that, that we left uh, un, untalked about uh, at this point. So uh, anything really, Michael, from your viewpoint, any of the hard truths or any specific thing that we didn't talk about that you just feel is so important for leaders who are listening that, to this podcast today to just really drive home for them in their own leadership journey? Uh, thanks, Brandon. I'm going to come back to Chapter 1 on authenticity. Um, it, it is so important to be a real person. And certainly, I, I'm here in front of your camera as a, as a flawed man. I think many of us uh, have our flaws. Uh, but the key is, how do we purport ourselves to our employees? Do they see the real us? Do we demand things from them that we are unwilling ourselves to do? Learned a lot about that in the military as a young military officer. Uh, what have I asked the men to do that I myself would not do? And what does that then cause them to think of you as a, um, a, as a leader? I think authenticity is, is huge. And I tie that in the conclusion with the two final thoughts would be 
out of the whole book would be live an authentic life and uh, live with intentionality, and you will have accomplished um, uh, uh, accomplished many of these. Ultimately, your business will not become what you are not, and I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that and teach that, that if you want your business to be customer service oriented, if you want your business to have great value, if you want your business to be a super place to work, those are things you have to be authentic about as the manager, the supervisor, the leader, the business owner. Um, it doesn't matter your role in there, but you model and create that so that your uh, your employees, your customers, and anyone else will uh, will see that this is the real deal. It is uh, authentic. That's um, that that's one of the reasons I started the book with uh, uh, authentic and uh, one of the things that I would always drive home. I love that. So leaders, you can lead people to where you've never been, but you can't lead people to where you're unwilling to go. So important in leadership. So, Michael, um, how do people get the book? How do people learn more about what you're up to? Where do they go? Um, thank you. Uh, a couple of ways. The book is in pre-sales at uh, Amazon.com and other places. It is uh, Hard Truths, 18 Rock Solid Lessons for Leaders by Michael Tomlin. You can certainly go to my, um, my website, and that is uh, michaeltomlin.me. And I will, uh, I'll be right there, and that's, uh, uh, take a look at my LinkedIn page, several ways to, um, several ways to find me. Awesome. I love that. So, leaders, as you're listening to this, here's my suggestion for you. Michael already mentioned the fact that Hard Truths is not an incredibly long read. It is short. It is impactful. And this is a great opportunity if you're looking for group exercises with your team of, hey, you cover a, you know, a chapter a week. You know, I mean, this could be a whole leadership training process. And who needs hard truths in your organization? Every single person needs hard truths. As Simon Sinek says, that leadership is a choice. It's not a rank. How do we get people to show up like leaders? We give them the information, the training, and the knowledge and the wisdom on how to become better leaders. Hard Truths is a great resource to help you and your team take their next step in their leadership journey. And through leadership, as we say in Total Experience Design, if you don't have great leadership, the whole thing falls apart. Intentionality doesn't happen. The systems and processes don't happen. Everything falls apart with that. So make sure you go out, and I would pick up several copies of this book for you, for your team members, and use this as an opportunity to connect and grow in your own leadership. So, uh, Michael, I want to thank you for being with us today. A absolutely. Thank you. All right. Awesome. So, guys, hard truths. Go get it on Amazon. Go to michaeltomlin.me. Go check out what Michael's up to. I want to thank Michael again for being a guest on the show. And again, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you found the show helpful, if you liked what we had to say today, if you know anyone else who could use some hard truths in their own leadership journey, make sure you share the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. Share the show. Make sure you subscribe in iTunes if you're not subscribed. New Work Revolution podcast is where you can find that on iTunes. So again, uh, Michael Tomlin, thank you for being a guest on the show. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you all. Brandon, thank you. All right. Thanks, Michael. 
Thanks for listening to the New Work Revolution podcast on newworkrevolution.com. Until next time, take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution.